And so, beloved, let us give our heart's attention to the reading of God's holy and infallible word. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Now verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Well, sometimes grown-ups tend to overlook little children, don't we? And maybe it's because adults don't think that we can learn much from little children or that they don't have much to say. Well, if the book of the Bible were a big family, well, the short letters like 2 John and 3 John or the minor prophets, we might say, are kind of like the overlooked little children. But we must remember that these little letters and books are no less inspired by the Holy Spirit for our edification. And therefore, 2 John and 3 John are just as much the living and active Word of God, just as much as the better-known books of the Bible like Genesis or the letter to the Romans. And so, beloved of God, in your Christian faith, don't neglect the little children that are among you here in this congregation. And likewise, don't neglect the smaller books of the Bible. Give them your heart's attention because they are the Word of God. And as we pay attention to this short passage that we just read, first notice that John calls himself here in the beginning an elder. An elder, not an apostle, even though he was an apostle. And what is John doing? He's assuming here a posture of humility and love towards his audience. Elder is more intimate and personal than apostle, which is more authoritative and statelier. His tone here, from the very beginning, with his introduction, is warm and pastoral. And so what is John's goal with this letter? Well, as a good shepherd, he wants to protect the sheep of Christ from wolves, from false teachers and intruders and con artists, and he gets into that a bit more in the verses that we didn't uh, read together. And he does that first, however, in the passage that we just read, by encouraging them to walk lovingly in the truth. And then he cautions them about those who reject the truth. And isn't that what good shepherding, good pastoring is all about? I'm sure Reverend Brad Niemeyer would agree with me that it's about encouraging the sheep to walk in green pastures and still waters, to receive the nutrients from Christ and his word. 
But it's also about warning them about the wolves and the cliffs, the valleys and the dangers that are before us in life. We need that balance, right? We need encouragement and caution, reassurance and warning, affirmation and correction. Good shepherding is like good parenting. The sheep need both truth and love together. And so this morning we're considering these first verses, verses 1 through 6, where John is encouraging us to walk lovingly in the truth. And we'll consider them in three points this morning. First, the elect lady. Secondly, her eternal children. And thirdly, the family ethic. So first we see that John writes to the elect lady. Who was this mysterious woman? Well, although there is some debate about this, it is quite evident that the elect lady here is a figurative way of referring to a local church, a congregation just like your own. Because John says next that all those who know the truth love her in truth. And that would be a very strange and radical claim to make about one particular individual or person. And also, if you look down at verse 13, which we did read at the close of his letter, he concludes saying that she has an elect sister whose children greet her. And so the best interpretation of this passage is that John is urging the Christians in one congregation to faithfulness in Christ, while he extends a greeting from their brothers and sisters in another congregation. Similar to how earlier I greeted you on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Ontario, URC. Now, what does this language that John uses here tell us about his ecclesiology? That is, his understanding of what the church is, what he believes about the church of Christ. Well, he says that the church is elect, which means that she was chosen by God. And here, John doesn't elaborate on that point, but elect here, just that term alone, is like a hyperlink that connects us to the whole doctrine of election and predestination that's found throughout all of God's Word. So John here is thinking about how God chose us in Christ for salvation before the foundation of the world. So she is elect. But why does he call her the elect lady? Lady. This is a feminine metaphor which fits with how elsewhere in the Bible God refers to his people, the church. For example, Isaiah refers to God's people of old in this way, in Isaiah 66, verse 10 to 11, saying, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. And so even though we believe and find in Scripture that God calls men to be leaders of his local church, the church is meant to be motherly, motherly, providing love, nurture, and protection to her children. And it's interesting that when we combine these two concepts, elect and lady, we discover a beautiful truth. Before the world began, God the Father chose a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to give his life for his bride. 
He came to give eternal life to all those whom the Father gave him before the foundation of the world. And this covenant between Christ and his bride, the church, we could say, was an arranged marriage in eternity past. It was arranged in eternity past by God the Father for his Son. And the Holy Spirit, we can add, is sort of like the matchmaker bringing each and every elect of God into union with Christ and his church by faith. Now, what does our triune God promise to bring into this relationship that he has with his church and all those who belong to her by faith? Well, John tells us in verse 3, here are the benefits of our relationship with Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from God's Son. You see, in this marriage, all that belongs to Christ is given to his bride. All. The church. What are those benefits that are given from the bridegroom to his bride, the church? Grace. What is grace? It is undeserved favor from God. And so, beloved in Christ, know this. God highly favors you. He highly favors you because of Christ. Mercy, which refers to God's patient kindness. And so, beloved of God in Christ, know that God is slow to anger towards you. And he is abounding in steadfast love towards you. He's merciful. And also his peace, which means all hostility, all anger has been removed. And therefore, beloved of God in Christ, know that he holds no grudge against you. You have his perfect peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus. These are the benefits you receive by union with Christ, by faith in him. And how can God promise to welcome the elect lady into his family with such grace, mercy, and peace? Well, notice that John says that these gifts not only come from God the Father, but also from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, and that's important. They come to us from Jesus because He is the one who has secured these blessings for His bride, the church, through His life, death, and resurrection. Jesus laid down His spotless life in love on the cross in order to lift up His bride spotless in His love. And notice the unshakable certainty in John's voice when he says this. He says that these blessings will be ours. It's not a prayer. He's saying they will be ours. And this is true because God is faithful. And John knows that Christ's heart is unshakably set upon his people with steadfast love. And think of this, if you doubt that. If Jesus didn't give up on his bride when he was suffering on the cross under the full weight of God's wrath, will he give up on you now while he reigns in glory? By no means he will never give up on his bride, whom he has won and bought by his sacrifice of love. Beloved, this means that if you believe in Jesus, you are part of his elect lady, and you cannot undo that reality in the present or in the future because, as we already considered, it was set and fixed in eternity past by God himself. You are his, and he is yours. Grace, mercy, and peace will be yours both today and tomorrow and for all of eternity henceforth because you are the bride of Christ, if you believe in him. 
And now notice also that John writes not only to the elect lady, his bride, the bride of Christ, but also to her children. Why? Well, the idea here is sometimes called in theology the one and the many. On the one hand, we've considered the one church, and yet she consists of many children. And so if we believe in Jesus, on the one hand, we are part of his elect lady, the church, but on the other hand, we are the children of the church. And how, how are you a child of the church? Well, it is ordinarily through the womb of the church, so to speak, that the Holy Spirit grants new birth to the children of God. It's here in the church that children and grown-ups receive the nutrient-rich gospel of Christ that changes people's lives. And remember that the Spirit gives new birth through that seed of the gospel, but he ordinarily does that where? In the context of the local church, through the womb of the elect lady, so to speak. Considering what John believes about the elect lady, this high esteem that he has for her, how committed is John's heart to her, the church? What does he say of her? He says of her, whom I love in truth, not only I, but all who know the truth love her as well. John honors and respects the church like a mother to him and to all Christians. He loves her. And so let me ask you this morning, is that how you feel and think about your church? Is that the disposition of your heart? Are you committed to your church with respect, love, and honor like a mother to you and to your fellow Christians? Sadly, many professing Christians today disrespect and disparage the church, the bride of Christ. But John says that everyone who knows the truth loves the church. The fourth century theologian Cyprian of Carthage was right when he said, he cannot have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. And so let us now consider our second point. We've considered the elect lady, and now we consider her eternal children. So John has told us that all who know the truth love the church. In other words, all those who have been born of God in the church will love the church in truth. Every true child of God, born again of the Spirit, and nurtured in the church, will love and support their local church like his own mother. And why? It's part of our new spiritual DNA, so to speak. John says in verse 2 this, This is why we love the church, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. The truth about God and Jesus is not divided. The seed of truth that we have received by faith in Christ contains within it love for God and love for all that he loves, especially his bride, the elect lady, the church. And so you cannot know God truly without loving the church. You can't claim to know him without loving his church. It's a package deal. True knowledge of God will always result in a true love for his church, the elect lady. For example, you cannot claim to know me and love me if you hate my wife. You cannot. If you ignore and despise my wife, then you do not know me, and you do not love me. And the same applies to Christ all the more, and his church, his bride. You cannot claim 
to truly know Jesus and love him if you hate his bride, the church, ignoring and despising his bride? If you do, then you do not know Jesus, the bridegroom. And you might respond, but pastor, the church is so messed up. I know. And you are part of it, right? And if you aren't yet part of the church, once you join the church, you will bring all of your mess into the church with you. And no church is perfect. Every church is a bit messy and in constant need, as we've said, of grace, mercy, and peace from God. And so why should we love the church despite all of her mess and shortcomings? Because our Lord Jesus is entrusted to her care the truth of his gospel. It is the sole responsibility of the church to preserve and proclaim the truth in love. Nobody else and no other institution on earth has been given the great commission from God. And throughout the ages, despite all the corruption, despite all the abuse of power, Christ has upheld his church in truth. The gates of hell have not prevailed against his church, and they never will. She has, by Christ's grace, mercy, and peace, withstood fierce persecutions. The rising and falling of empires and world wars, she has endured it all. Therefore, we should never give up on the church because Christ has never given up on her, and he never will. And now I want you to look as well at what John says about those who belong to the church in verse 2. The truth abides in her children, he says, and will be with them forever. Forever. You see, this is why Christians can and should call themselves the eternal children of God and the elect lady, the eternal children. Once God's truth enters into you and changes you by the Holy Spirit, setting you free and changing your life forever, it will never leave you. That truth resides in you forever. If you have come to believe in Jesus, then you are a child of God and his church, both now and for all of time eternal. Know that nothing, nothing will be able to separate you from his love. He has made you his own. He has pulled you into his family, into his very heart. He will never leave you or forsake you. His truth abides in you, Christian. And he will uphold you fast and forever by that truth that is in your heart. Even he will hold you through death itself forever. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from his love once his truth comes and abides within you. But what about here and now? What, what do we do with this truth in our day-to-day -day life? And that leads us to our third and final point, our family ethic. Notice what John says in verses 4 through 7. As those who belong to the household of faith, John reminds us of the household rules, the family ethic, the code of conduct. Kids, I'm sure that in your household, your parents have rules or a code of conduct or values that they hold you to, and they keep before you, reminding you how you ought to act. Well, this is the household rule for God in his church. What is it? Well, our elder, our elder orders us. It's not a suggestion. It's an order. It's a command. He says, walk in the truth. What does that mean? 
Well, it means don't just say that you believe it with your lips, but actually live like you believe it. Walk in it. Live according to his word. It means follow the command of the Father. It means love one another. The command to love God and to love one another all throughout Scripture and especially taught by our Lord Jesus is the simple summary of all of God's law, his Ten Commandments. And at the core of every commandment of God is this, love for God and love for your neighbor. This is the code of conduct that governs the household of God, love. I know what you might be thinking, oh, John is a broken record. If you've read John, you know he's always talking about this command that we receive from Jesus to love one another. He tells us over and over again, love one another. Why? Well, the Romans were right in this point. Repetition is the mother of all learning. And as parents, right, we all know this. We're constantly repeating ourselves to our children, telling them how they ought to act. Why? In order to shape their thinking, their living, and their desiring, we must repeat important truths. And that's the same for us as Christians. We need to hear this command to love God and to love one another over and over and over again because we lack. We lack such love. We are not as patient and kind and humble and hopeful in love as we ought to be. We lack the love that we should have. And this comes out perhaps most especially in the way sometimes we treat the church. Instead of treating the church like a marriage commitment, by making vows that bind us to serve her and to seek her well-being, that she might become more beautiful in truth and in love, often we treat the church like a spiritual Starbucks. Sadly, many people go to church thinking that they're entitled consumers, where the client is always right, with high expectations about how the church should serve them in order to receive their patronage. And they think, more or less, if the church doesn't get my order right, or doesn't properly greet me, or worse, if the church offends my lifestyle, ah, then I'll just take my patronage elsewhere. Friends, this stems from bad theology. We need to take the church out of our consumeristic mindset and realize that despite her flaws, we need to see the church as John does here in this letter, as the honorable elect lady and her children, the bride of Christ and the spiritual mother to us. And when we have that biblical mindset, then we will see that the church exists to grow your love for God and your love for your neighbor. She doesn't exist so that you can live for yourself according to your preferences. She exists to mold you into the image of Christ by nutrition, instruction, and correction in his word and by the Spirit. God the Father wants to use your local church, despite her flaws, to make you into a better version of yourself until you are filled to the brim and bubbling over with love for God and love for one another. This is our family ethic. Love one another as God has so loved us. And how has God loved us? How did Jesus love us? Well, think of this. The Son of God did not fall in love with his bride, the church, because she was lovely. He didn't fall in love with her. She was unlovely, filled with flaws. She was not a perfect match for him. 
She was full of sin, pride, greed, idolatry. She was a deeply flawed lady, we could say. No. Jesus didn't fall in love with his bride. He committed to her in love. God the Father gave the elect lady to Christ in eternity past. Jesus chose to love her no matter what, come what may. Even to death itself on the cross, he laid down his life in love for her because he committed to her. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. That's why. He loved her, his bride, in order to make her lovely in the truth. What a joy. What a blessed privilege to receive the love of God. And so in response, loved ones, don't wait. Don't wait to fall in love with the church. It's not going to happen. Don't chase after a perfect church either. Rather, commit to her and say, I will be there no matter what. Let us commit to love the elect lady and her children until we stand together, beautifully adorned in the holiness of Christ as the elect lady, the bride of Christ, adorned for her bridegroom in glory before God the Father, like on a wedding day. Let us commit to love the church. Let us love one another as God has so loved us. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we have heard the truth of your word read and preached. We've given our attention to it, and Lord, it is our desire that you would plant that truth deep within us, that you would renew and remake us by your truth, which abides in us, and by the Spirit whom you have sent. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would cause us to love you and your church with all sincerity, with all faithfulness and commitment, even as you have so loved us through Christ, who committed himself to love us despite all our flaws and weaknesses, to make us lovely by his blood and righteousness. Lord, in response to such mercy, grace, and peace, Lord, cause us to be all the more faithful even this week and to the end of our life. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, loved ones, in response to God's word, let's stand and sing a hymn of application 406, Jesus with thy church abide, and we will be singing stanzas one through six. So we'll stop at stanza six of 406, Jesus with thy church abide.